Wonderful. Okay, so uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm here with Marina Perkis, a political commentator and podcast host. Marina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. You're actually only the second person I've ever met with the name Marina. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, and the the other Marina I know is actually also blonde and quite outspoken. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite people in the world, actually. <laughs> She's a bit of a badass. Uh, there is Boris Johnson's ex-wife as well, was Marina. Marina Wheeler. Ah. Whole thing. Which ex is this? Like one, XX or like X? He was married to. He was hard to keep, uh, yeah, keep on top of it. The one he was married to, who uh, my understanding is that he cheated on her with uh, Carrie Simmons. Mm. When she was uh, battling cancer, is my understanding. It's that one. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, my thoughts go out to her. Yeah. Although, maybe dodged a bullet. I don't think she dodged it. She was married to it for a while. <laughs> okay, well, she removed the, the shrapnel. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it says, um, or you've said, that you were woken up to politics in about 2016. Mm. Like, what happened? Well, what did happen, Josh, in 2016 that was pretty monumental? It was basically Brexit. It was the referendum. And um, I was was largely apolitical before then. I think, you know, like most people, I was just getting on my life. Politics was something that happened on the the news. And and it didn't really, I didn't care for it. It was interesting. I found it dull. Hmm. It wasn't for people like me. Um, And then when the vote, when the, basically, I I remember waking up in the morning, my husband said, "Um, have you seen which way it's gone? I was like, he said, we voted out. And something just felt like something just wasn't right. Mm. And then basically since then, I sort of went on a bit of a journey of like understanding how the result happened and, you know, learning about what was allowed to go out there in terms of the vote leave, the leave.eu propaganda, basically lies, how actually exposed how vulnerable our democracy is to bad, uh, bad players, basically. And um, and also the reason it felt so wrong is because my mum and dad are Sicilian, born and bred. They came over here in their like twenties, mm. um, so about forty years ago. Well, they weren't thinking it because they sound like they arrived yesterday. In fact, I think they <laughs> I think their accents are getting stronger. <laughs> my mum is like, like misusing he and she now. I'm like, mum, are you regressing? Like, what's happening here? So I think for, for me as well, knowing that my parents now wouldn't be able to make it in in the way they did because my dad was a gardener he was a waiter at the ritz and claridges he was mm. a hospital night porter they wouldn't have made it in now because of the new points based whatever system that pretty deportland patel has um introduced so it just felt really wrong um and so yeah i basically started falling down rabbit holes found the whole thing utterly fascinating and also as as we've seen since 2016 things have just got worse so for me it is deeply interesting deeply worrying but i find it so in a in a weird way it's it's so thrilling mm. to follow so that's why i am now very much involved well it's the curse of interest in times isn't it you know we we get to see the the maddest shit that you would ever imagine unfold like like i'd love to go back and and try to like tell people in the 90s like mm. the what cuz i don't know there'd be like like a three-week scandal if some minister had been seen, I don't know, out with 
I don't know, the wrong person. That would be weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm -hmm. Or say, uh, I remember there's a lot. there was a lot of controversy around Mo Mollum um, getting thrown out of Blair's uh, shadow cabinet just because she simply didn't agree with like the direction it was going. She was mm -hmm. kind of outspoken. And that was, that was scandalous. Mm -hmm. And now that's just like, that, that wouldn't even make the, that, that wouldn't even make the, like, I don't know, page eight or page mm -hmm. 10 or page 12 of the papers. That would never, it would never trend, you know? But that's part of the strategy. So that is part of, so Steve Bannon, who was a big player in terms of Donald Trump's campaign, mm -hmm. um, his strategy, and it is one that works, is flood the zone with shit. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and Boris Johnson has openly in a, in, a, in a TV interview before he actually took the premiership, he alluded to this. He said, my strategy will be, I'll put out so many gaffes, but basically there'll be so much, much scandal, so much, so many stories that people won't be able to keep up. And it's true. And what's also happened is we've now got a really high tolerance for scandal. It's like we know, just look at where we are now. We can't keep up with the last, we're still digesting the last lie or the last scandal and the next scandal's already unfolding. So we don't know where to focus our efforts. So it, it does work as a strategy, sadly. Yeah, I mean, I'm still pissed about the amount of money we gave to, to friends of Conservative Party so uh, members of Parliament during the pandemic. I'm still, I can't believe that we're just accepting it. There's such a small cohort of people mm. who are repeatedly making shitloads of money and they are cronies it'll be through test and trace mm. contracts it'll be through the, the vip lane contracts for ppe and now the very same people by the way are going to be that very teeny tiny cohort that are going to be cleaning up with mm. regards to tax breaks yeah yeah they will mm. yeah the tax breaks so just, that is honestly like it's amazing to me to watch them do this like it's like it's like children they have like zero it's not even that that like just ideologically i don't agree with them because i don't like you know the trickle down stuff has never ever ever worked really um but it's they're just like fumbling around and i was talking to to that guy david edgerton recently mm -hmm. about this he's like why do you think the caliber of people who end up in these positions of power is so dismal like, like, what is going on? Like, where's the talent? Because like, we're not we're not a country who's lacking in uh, like you know great universities or just you know well developed nation with I'm sure loads and loads of talented like smart like shrewd people. Like, where the fuck are none of them running the country? <laughs> great question, Josh. There's a whole book on this, which is why do we get the wrong politicians? I think it's called. Love it. But it's it's if you look at who's drawn into what the world of politi politics, sorry, and you look at the conveyor belt from public schools, uh, Oxford, Cambridge, into um, into our politics, like you know, I made the mistake when I was younger of thinking, oh, people going to politics must be really good people, because they want to do it for, they want to work for the society, they they want to work to improve the lives of people and blah. You know, whereas that didn't really interest me. Whereas now, and then literally only again since 2016 in my my awakening, have I realized people that get into politics do so because it is an opportunity to raid the public purse, to shape policy, to benefit you and your ilk or your rich friends, and to become, to basically have a become, you know, um, uh, sort of such a coveted individual that all these 
big companies want a slice of the action. Mm. They want a slice of you because they know you can impact policy. So you'll hear about people like Jacob Rees-Mogg receiving funding from fossil fuel companies mm. or um, Liz Truss or whatever, other people getting money from oil companies or whatever, I don't know. But there's a huge, it's a massive money-making scheme. And this is why, sadly, we get the wrong people. Also, if you think about it, to get into politics, you have to, a lot of people, it's, it's quite risky in terms of money. Like, mm. you, there's a lot of time required for you to go into politics and do canvassing, get support, etc. cetera. Um, and to do that alongside a main job. A lot of people don't have that, you know, they, they haven't got that uh, capability of doing that. They're too busy trying to just make ends meet. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's like a... It's a position of the privileged, like Absolutely. the ones we have the time. Yeah, it's really. like it's like interns. You know, people some like the the wealth, wealthy kids can mm. afford to take interns and build their way up in a company, like in showbiz or whatever. But the, the the deprived kids or the less privileged kids can't do that because they need to actually make money to like maybe help mum and dad or whatever. So, yeah, it's the same for politics. Mm. So, like a lot of people seem to think that the solution to this, like absolute obscene rating of the public purse which i think you've like correctly identified like that is what it is it mm -hmm. is just looting yeah. um it disgusts me that we're not more outraged about this um but a lot of people th seem to think that the panacea is just to not have the tories in power and i don't believe that to be the case at all anymore i'm not convinced that keir starmer and the his I won't, i'm not going to say blairite because i don't think they're all blairites but like the the sort of more right-wing side of the Labour Party will be very happy to continue with public-private partnerships, things like PFI contracts, like massive amounts of outsourcing. Like the, I, I don't see anything changing. Maybe, maybe some things. Like obviously, they've, they've you know suggested a few policies that would be great. I'm not convinced they'll actually do them. Like the first past the post um, PR thing, which I'm sure we'll get to, but. Like, do you, do you think that there's hope in electing a Keir Starmer's Labour Party that they would, like, actually fix these problems? Okay, so, Josh, what you've got to look at here is what are our options mm. as voters who or people that cannot take any more of what is what has become the Tory party and our government, what are our options? Mm. We either keep the Tories in power and they keep destroying everything and I'm not going to list it all everyone knows what's what's being destroyed everyone knows about the gaps in inequality or we do something else and what are our options at the moment and I hate this I hate that it's a two-party system I hate that it's basically you've got to vote Labour or you've got to tactically vote I just I, I want I want there to be this is why I'm so hopeful or I really want proportional representation to come in. It's because I want people to be able to vote for the party they actually trust mm. to deliver what they want. But we aren't there. We are, we've got this first past the post system, so it's Labour or it's the Tories. Now, I hate, well, for me, a trigger statement that comes from people like my brother-in-law on holiday. They're all as bad as each other. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't quite say that. Okay, but there's, there's a lot of that. And that is by design because it, it leads to apathy, which means which leads to people not voting mm. and it's actually the non-voters that would swing everything so i just think look labor have not filled me with confidence i love the pledges that came out when keir starmer was going for the uh, labor leadership i thought oh, there yes. were some awesome pledges the there that they abandoned so many <laughs> and that to me has really um i because i joined the, the labor party and then i cancelled my membership 
I will still lend them my vote. Uh, well, I will lend my vote to anyone that I need to. I implore people to vote tactically within their constituency to lend their vote to the party that's most likely to de-seat the Tory. For me, it is going to be Labour. But I am I hopeful that they are going to deliver on everything? No. Um, but they are not going to be as bad as the Tories. They are not going to crash the economy. They are not going to continue the same vein of corruption that we're seeing um, and I just think that even if it is a 5% improvement on what, where we are, that is the direction you need to take. It's not, we are not going to get, we're not going to get the dream here. We're not going to get our ideology, whatever that is, but we just need to go a step in the right direction. And also don't forget, Keir Starmer is one man. Mm. He is not the entire Labour Party. And I, I, I honestly think that there'll be enough of us lobbying and campaigning for things that if he does get into power, we're not sitting back. He's going to hear from loads of us, for example, on proportional representation if he doesn't deliver that, especially now it's been backed as a motion at the Labour conference. Mm. So I just think, guys, there's we have two options. Mm. We carry on with the Tories or we go for Labour and it's a step. It might even feel like a tiny step, but in the right direction. And then we go from there. What would you say the arguments that because of the similarity in ideology of a lot of the people who are now stacking like both of the, the front benches of both parties, that the the options are so similar that just to accept that, okay, we're going to get another neoliberal government is is just furthering the continuation of this system. Like I would be of the mind that they're the only way to break the two-party system is to stop voting for those two parties and like just just walk away from both of them because I don't see any I don't see any signs that that the Labour leadership are willing to listen to the membership. Like they've gone from I believe it's from six hundred ninety five thousand members maximum under Jeremy Corbyn at the uh, I think two thousand eighteen two thousand nineteen to about estimated I saw two hundred thousand, which means they've lost. Mm -hmm. nearly half a million voters mm -hmm. of members who will go out and canvass for them because they no longer feel that that party is representing them. Like, do, do, do you see or do you think that there's like something in the argument that we have to like walk away? Like if they don't represent the thing that we want or if no well, party Okay, here's a question that. back to you. What happens when you walk away, Josh? Well... This is, I, I know, and I know it's shit. Mm -hmm. I feel for people that feel politically homeless, I, I, and I get it. But if you walk away out of principle, mm -hmm. of commitment to your ideology, mm -hmm. however right you might be, however principled that is, what happens? Well, I am of the opinion that both major parties have kind of abandoned their base over the last couple of years, and I feel like most crises result in some new party emerging. However, I feel like we haven't seen who that is, but I feel like there's some something out there, right? Some sensible person. This is so pipe dreamy. <laughs> that there's some sensible person who has the wherewithal to like, ex like see what the Tories are either missing and losing people or, um, the voters that they're hoovering up from UKIP and from the Labour Party. Because I don't think those people are economically right-wing at all. Mm -hmm. 
I okay, feel like there's a massive, like gonna, there's a I'm massive gonna, portion I'm gonna, I'm gonna like push you begging this, right? to be I'm like represented. Yeah, we've please. got two years mm-hmm. right until the next election, mm-hmm. and you you can't, with all respect, you can't name what this thing is. Mm-hmm. No, it no, doesn't exist. No. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what happens if you walk away. We just get more Tory government, and again, I agree. There there is there are, there is too much. There is a lot of similarity between the what's you know the Labour Party and the Tory Party. There are also lots of things that they aren't they aren't similar on mm. and they have talked about and whether they provide it or not I, I don't know but again at least they're talking about it they're talking about things like renationalizing the wet railways mm-hmm. about proportional representation whether Starmer backs it or not about bringing a national living wage mm-hmm. um there are other bits and pieces like um gordon brown's leaked document which i thought was if, if that could go through you know in terms of giving the electoral commission more power again so mm-hmm. that there's none of this dodgy electioneering getting rid of the house of lords like even if one of those things is delivered, mm-hmm. that is an improvement on where we are. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, so for example, why do I, I, I hate how this government is, is trashing the economy, how it's making people's lives hell, it's making things worse for our most vulnerable people. It, if, uh, so if, uh, for me, if you are a true socialist, and I hate people understand that word and they don't mix it with communism or Marxism or whatever. And you just want things to be a little bit fairer. And by mm-hmm. the way, communism, socialism can work alongside capitalism. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that. That's good. All good. Then for me, it is anti. <laughs> you, are, you are denying the socialist movement when you don't vote. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's it's not helping anyone. It's, it might be very principled stance and make mm-hmm. you make you feel good because I can't bear to vote for Labour, but it's not helping anyone. Like okay, so the the, the problem I have with this like argument is that okay, right? Keir Starmer comes in and he does a couple of the things that you said, right? They they re renationalise the railways and they abolish the House of Lords, right? Mm-hmm. They don't tackle the fundamental underlying problems in the city of London. Mm-hmm. in the financialization of our economy because they're taking massive amounts of money from them. Mm-hmm. I don't see them reversing a lot of the privatization in the NHS, again, donors. Mm-hmm. And I don't see them like broadly solving the problems that have caused so much wealth inequality and in- income inequality in mm-hmm. this country that, that has led to probably, I'd say, some of the extreme polarization that's happened and mainly just and led to people I guess what's it like? Fourteen million people are living below the poverty line in Britain, something like that. I don't see, I don't see that being pro- like the underlying causes of that being properly addressed. I see the Tories then saying, "Look, they didn't fix anything," and then five get, years down the line, yeah, but anyway. I, yeah, but of course. But then I, I, if if the underlying problems aren't fixed, then we end up in the same position with another Tory government, and that like you, you can say that okay, you know, then we get a Tory government, but it always leads back down that road. But with it, the it, same it, situation, unless we is, actually solve the underlying problems. I also am hopeful that once they're in power, I actually think at the moment they're having to toe a very tight line because if they reveal too much of their hand and what they're planning to do, people will jump on it like they did with Corbyn and be like, oh, God, how much is this going to cost, blah, blah, blah. So I think Starmer, again, this is my hope, is that he is a bit like his Brexit stance, right? Mm. We know in his heart hearts he thinks Brexit's a pile of shit. But he cannot say what he really thinks there because the 
conservatives will jump on him and the right-wing press will jump on him and be like, oh, he's going to reverse Brexit, he's going to deny the vote of the, the will of the people. So, so he's not. He's, he's, he's having to basically say, make Brexit work, which we all know is a crock of shit, but you know the game he's playing. That's what I hope he is doing with regards to all of the things you're talking about. I think he's not wanting to rock the boat. And I really hope, bearing in mind the pledges, I really hope that he knows that's why he was voted in as a leader. And if and when he gets to power, that's what he goes back to. And it's a real shame that that's what you've got to do to get into power. You've basically got to lie or mislead or withhold. Mm. But I do think... Get, give them a chance because we've had 12 years of Tory rule. We've given them every bloody chance. Give Labour a chance. And then if they're shit, then we tackle it. But we can't... We've got two options at the moment, Josh. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm... Yeah. I, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, but... I feel like, you're, like you're not, honest... not going to vote, though, are you? I don't know who I vote for. This is my problem. Like, I used to have someone I would vote for in Jeremy Corbyn's Labour. And the fact that he's still has had the whip removed like and i'm not even like super duper like someone's like friends of mine like asked me kind of recently they're like why do you why do you love jeremy corbyn and i was like right what percentage of politicians in the house of commons do you reckon are bought and paid for shit loads what like 90 percent mm. maybe maybe a little less maybe a little more well and it depends on what side of the of the uh, house you're talking about mm. obviously on the tory side pretty much all of them mm. are sponsored by someone yeah um, wow. I'm, I'm not sure about on the other side. I'm, I know that it goes that way, mm. but it's just sadly against the nature of the job. It's something that needs yeah. to be overhauled. But my point was basically, it's like, do you think Jeremy, they were like 95% or whatever. And I said, right, okay. Do you think Jeremy Corbyn was in that 95%? They said, no. And I was like, there you go. That's it. Right there. He's not bought. Mm. That's why I liked him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I can say the same about Keir Starmer. And it concerns me that he's like, Jeremy Corbyn has still had the whip removed. Mm. Like that, that's, that's so for me, that's like a symbolic thing that sort of suggests he's uh, maybe yeah. not as willing to, to toe the line that he said he would. He had his whip removed because of the comments on anti-Semitism, right? He just mm. wouldn't. So that to me was, I was a fan of Corbyn mm. until he was so on the fence with regards to Brexit and wouldn't be clear about what his position was. Because mm. that was the thing, as I told you, it was the a referendum that got me into, into it. And, um, into politics and I remember what tuning into his interview Corbyn's interview with um what's his name the guy Andrew Neil mm-hmm. and he wouldn't give a bloody position mm. so all I wanted to hear at the moment was someone a party anywhere saying there'll be a second vote or something like that and the only party offering that was Lib Dems mm-hmm. so I voted for the Lib Dems then which I now I can see now wasn't the right thing to do because we needed Labour have idea it wasn't clued up then mm. Um, so I fell out of love with Corbyn then mm. and also I feel like with the anti-Semitism thing he just had to say he just had to acknowledge it in a way that wasn't like he was um, being stubborn yeah and he yeah. didn't like so so and bearing in mind how Keir Starmer and the Labour Party have been absolutely hammered for, for anti-Semitism just Corbyn just for fucking swallow your tongue or, whatever, or just say what you need to say to help the party mm. but it's like he couldn't mm. and so if I'm Kistama and I'm like oh my god I've had enough I get it mm. although I also think god Kistama you're also like uh, fanning the flames I think there's so much infighting and and the two I mean Tories must look at them and just laugh 
the two factions of the Labour Party. Mm. Like, get your shit together, look at the end goal, and then try and, and work this out. And I think there's bad players on both sides, by the way. Um, and I, I just wish they could get past this. But Corbyn's been shit, and he didn't. He shouldn't have been stubborn. Mm. And and uh, Starmer should have found another way to to reach out to him mm. to to say that wasn't on without removing the whip and angering a shitload of Labour Party members. Mm. That said, I'm really hoping the membership builds up again as we get closer to election when they actually start dripping out some of the policies that actually people can get behind. Because at the moment, I mean, now it's starting to happen, but before it was very much like, well, why would I vote for Labour? What do they stand for? Yeah. They're not even going to, they're, they're saying Brexit's going to work. They're not talking about reinstalling, reinstalling freedom of movement. Mm. Like then they're not talking about national, um, you know, nationalizing water or energy, all these things that we loved in the, in the pledges. Why am I going to vote for them? So I'm hoping it was a case of cards close to chest. Mm. As we get closer to general election, start dripping out these things like we're seeing now. And it's like, oh, okay, that sounds all right. Do you think it'd be a good idea to re reverse Brexit like at this point? I don't think now is the right time to be talking about it. I mean, if we start, if we actually took all politics out of it and mm. the media and the frenzy, blah, 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 it is 100% the right thing to do for the economy, right? We've got Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng talking about, we need growth, we need growth. Brexit is anti-growth. Brexit is putting trade barriers up with our biggest trading block on our doorstep. It is hammering our exports by 40%. It is killing, I think, 30% of export businesses to the EU had to close. It is so ridiculous that we've got this, this paradox going on and no one's, we can't say anything about it though. No, no, shh, shh, because you can't reverse Brexit. Brexit is the biggest barrier, one of the biggest barriers to growth. Mm. So actually, if we were just like, if someone was sensible in power, I don't care what the bloody Daily Mail. The, I'm going to reverse Brexit tomorrow if the EU will have EU will have us, because straight away we will see GDP start to rise, growth start to rise, all the other good things start to happen again. Mm. But we can't do that because we've got to play the game and we've got to play media. So I don't think now is the right time to talk about it, sadly, because of those reasons. But I think when the next party comes in, there needs to be sensible discussions about all of the damage that Brexit is doing, continuing to doing, continuing to do. Bearing in mind, we haven't even unleashed the full extent of Brexit, right? We've still got, we've still got suspensions on some of the um, uh, border, what you call them? Um, the rules and regs and stuff, yeah. restrictions, exactly. So I think there needs to be a full and frank conversation once the next party is in power and then go, we need to revisit this, people. Mm. And actually, if there was another referendum, and I hate the idea of another one, but we know that, that people have gone, yeah, that was a crock of shit and I'm, it's awful. I'm not convinced that we would vote to go back in. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, 100% am. Who, know, but, but even po all polling suggests oh, that. Oh, that's... That, I, 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 polling outside of about six weeks away from something is just guesses. Fine, but I think if, but also no one's really hammering home what Brexit has done. No. So if you look at the right-wing press, they're still trying to portray it as a success. Whereas actually, if those discussions were happening with, you know, the leadership was pointing it out, and actually, you know, you had the BBC doing a job of, of landing it, then I think actually we could be in a much better position. But I, I don't think it's, it, the argument would be solely about, about the position that we're in. I think that the state of Europe would be a huge, huge uh, talking point mm -hmm. because I think that, right, so like my, my first book was about about Brexit and I talked a lot about um, the 
the Cambridge Analytica stuff, the the leave, uh, the vote leave, um, yeah, alleged law breaking, the the electoral commission stuff, the dark ads on Facebook, the way in which uh, like yeah, data was harvested, stolen, abused, used, and I didn't want Brexit to happen. I voted Remain, um, but in the course of like writing the book, I do a lot of work on a like understanding the position of like A, the politicians and B, like the people who were voting for it and the arguments in favor of voting, the like not the stupid fucking 350 million for the NHS, like the the actual fundamental, like are we better off not being like attached to the EU? And I think the EU is going to go through some fucking crazy times in the next five to 10 years, if not the next six months, like winter is going to get scary like obviously we're going to be affected by this as well but i get the feeling that what's happened like with the the energy markets mm -hmm. um the yeah there's a lot of sort of more right-wing anti-european people with it being elected yeah. across europe recently, recently. Mm, italy for example although I, I guarantee none of the people complaining about this woman have ever looked into her ever and it's hilarious to watch people like scream because like I saw a couple of speeches from her and I was like, it's so obvious why people are voting for her. Like, she's like, look, we're going to look after your family. We're going to defend your right to just be you. And we're going to go after these big corporations that have been like trying to exploit you and just turn you into consumers and slaves. And I was like, right, this is hyperbolic language, but this is actually exactly what she's like tapping into here. And I think it's the same thing that people that was tapped into in the Brexit vote. It's this rejection of like globalization. And I think that people's, sort of desire to be more isolated is only going to increase as things get crazier in the world. So yeah, this is why I'm not convinced that we're going to, that we would vote to go back in. Mm, I don't have to agree to disagree there. So. Well, what, right. What, what do you, what do you, what do you think I'm wrong about? Um, I think people are, are starting to see a real decline in terms of things like standards of living mm. and they're seeing like, industries on their ass. So hospitality, for example, mm. agriculture, horticulture, mm. fishing, all the things that were, I think they're starting to see, I hope they're starting to see that all the things that were promised, you know, this sort of utopia post-Brexit Britain, you'd go into your GP and it'd be like a spa, um, you know, and your NHS would be just basically asking you to come in. Mm. Like, please do come in. We've got so many appointments. Uh, I think people are seeing rising food costs, mm. every, everything. It's it's not what it was promised, what was promised. Yeah. Um, even like the queues, sorry, even the queues that they're facing at the airports mm. and Dover and whatever. Loss of freedom of movement, people's retirement plans, stuff is starting to land now, I think. So my hope is that people are seeing the state of the a bit a bit like it'll be a protest vote i think mm. it's like, oh we tried that brexit it was shit mm. um and i think that's what hope, i'm hoping that people will be waking up to and not necessarily knowing people don't know they're not as close to it as as most of oh, a few of us are and they'll just go actually that brexit was a bit shit mm. let's uh let's go back in again and maybe not understand all the complexities around it but just mm. know that we tried we tried it and everything fell apart. Whether it was all down to Brexit or whether it was down to Ukraine, uh, Ukraine or whatever, mm. I think people go, yeah, no, nah, it, didn't, it didn't really work out. And oh, actually, oh, there's all the same amount of immigrants, if that, if not more, and in fact, more migrants coming over on dinghies because it would have never anything to do with that. So, mm. yeah, uh, that's what's that's my thinking. Mm. I hope. Yeah, I mean, the, all of the things you said, I think, are true. But at the same time, I can see the response to them. Is like that people would say. 
none of these things are solely linked to remaining in the European Union. Like none of the things that you've okay, aside from the immigration um, side of things, freedom of movement. Like what about they're, sewage, they're, sewage in our waters. But we could we like the, the the argument would be that we can we can regulate these things outside of the EU. Like we don't need to be in the EU for our government to make reasonable and you know safe protecting like bits of regulation on water on um yeah on anything mm -hmm. like the for me the argument is like the, blaming these things on brexit ignores the fact that it's the fucking government that are doing it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's like we we could we could leave the eu and keep all those standards but we don't because the government has decided they mm -hmm. don't want to and the people have said well to this point at least they've acquiesced to it at the ballot box we'll see how long that lasts mm. but it depends on the level of understanding of some people mm. like some people will understand that part of the reason that their shopping has gone up is because of brexit mm. their food shop has gone up because of brexit their holidaying abroad has gone up because of brexit basically i think when people can make the link between what actually is brexit example they you know then their plans to retire abroad mm. gone like that's when they will know it's uh, you know an error and it might be something as little as oh, i can't take my dog on holiday as easily mm. as i used to but i think i think the people who have been impacted whether it's again the queues or whatever or airport airports they're the ones that have changed their minds mm. the ones who haven't been impacted will be, be harder to convince but again if you think how close we were 52 48 what, what it'll be now mm. i think oh, i would bloody hope we'd swing the other way and if we didn't <laughs> oh my god would you accept it would you I'm, move? I'm never, I'm never going to accept it. <laughs> I'm never going to accept it because it's built on lies. Mm. So this is another thing, and I, I it came up today in a tweet about what again I think Labour would have to do if they came into power because I don't think proportional representation is enough. Mm. In fact, I think it's a, again great step in the right direction if they do deliver it. But I also think they need to meet an overhaul of party financing because otherwise mm. we can end up with another Brexit situation. The Electoral Commission needs to be made independent again and given more powers to actually really commensurately punish um, dodgy and illegal electioneering. Because if you look at the pitiful amounts, the things like I think Vote Leave were, um, what were they? They find something like 60 grand or something, but completely insignificant amount. I think you're right. I think it was 60,000. 60,000. Like the millions, billions that were made from like, oh, anyway. It's just pointless. And also the other thing I think we need to look at, which is um, reforming political advertising. So mm. if you look at New Zealand, they regulate lies in politics. Mm. And yet in this country, you could say anything you want. Mm. Like, well, Actually, can we, can we clarify this? Because I'd read your thing mm. posting about this the other mm. day, that they're regulating like political advertising. I think it's very difficult to regulate what a politician says in the House this of Commons. This is true, this is true. The advertising, though, was literally yeah. the like 50% of the point of my book. Mm. Was, was literally saying what you're saying now, that we need to, that we regulate all kinds of advertising on television, on radio, Cat on food. TV. So my point was, if you make cat food and you make a tin of cat food and you put that on the shelf in Waitrose or wherever, those advertisers, whiskers, are held to a higher standard of truth-telling than our politicians who can put 350 million on the side of a red bus. How is that 
how is that how is that where we are mm. so whether it's so, so the lying in, in the parliament mm. that is supposed to be kept in check by the ministerial code of conduct mm -hmm. right so if you lie in parliament or mislead mm -hmm. you are breaking the code of conduct you are supposed to go back and cl correct the record the Hansard record, that's not done. So now you can just lie wherever. Also, you've seen some of the literature that comes through your doorstep or comes on or lives on your doorstep and they just lie. And there's, why wouldn't you? Mm. My point is, if you can lie and there's there are huge rewards and no punishment, mm. the reward being you get to power, why on earth would, it, would you stop? Mm. Like, so we, that something needs to be in place. So again, with proportional representation, my concern is you might get someone like, you know, Tyson Fox, Reform Party, is that what it's called? Lawrence Fox. Yeah, that's it. There. Is it Reform UK? Reform UK. Reform UK. So it pisses me off that he was the, he, like, you know, we were talking about the lack of opposition, like mm -hmm. alternatives. Like, it fucks me off that that's the alternative because he's a prick. I mean, it's definitely not an alternative. I don't see that. As a but I like, I just, I like, I mean, that he's a party outside of the, the, yeah. the, the you know, the established yeah. like system. Yeah. My concern is there. What stops Fox and Tice doing what they do best? putting out absolute bullshit mm. as truth. T Richard Tice, who strangely is very charming when you meet him in person, but you, sure. you, can't, you can't ignore the fact that he is a main, uh, he was a crucial person in terms of making people believe complete lies. Mm. And his, you look at the vote leave video that he came out of his, his, his party, mm. And you know, I've quizzed him on this directly. There's no remorse. Mm. These people are shameless, and there's no punishment. So, because what all, all that could happen is you've got, say, for example, Tyson Fox put out another video that's full of this, like, ah, oh, vote for us, you'll get this utopia, and they won't. Mm. You won't deliver it, but nothing will be there. There's no mechanism there to punish them for doing so. So mm. that's why I feel like we need regs in as well as proportional representation just to keep things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for political advertising, like I, I, you should, yeah, if things are just not not true, then they should be like pulled on it. It's the same as like advertising print. Like you can't stand up. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of like fuckery that goes on with like the way people word things in terms of studies and advertising. And, and you know, like it's like nine out of 10, nine yeah. out of 10 dentists recommend Colgate. And it's like, you did 10, 10 like surveys. And then the one that had nine out of 10 dentists is like, we'll go with that mm -hmm. one. There's a lot of fuckery in the way they yeah, do it, but they're still right. held to so it's much a, higher a standard. It's a, it's a manipulation <laughs> of that. It's a massaging of numbers. Mm. Um, Which think, is why um, it gets really difficult in, in some cases, especially when it comes to politics and opinion, it gets really yeah. difficult to regulate. Yeah. Because then you have to go to someone and say, okay, you are now the arbiter of truth. Mm. And they're like, I've never figured out who can be that person. So, so there is a, the, the, there is a, the, the tweet that I put out today, there is a campaign for this. I think they're called um, uh, Reform Advertising Reform. Which, gosh, I should get this. It'll be on my Twitter. But um, if you can pull it up, that'd yeah. be really handy because I do feel like they need a plug and you, you should follow them. They're doing some great work. They have, they've actually got quite far in Parliament with this. So this would be a cross-party. The people that would decide whether something was a breach mm. of political advertising standards be cross-party so it'd be from all of the different parties as well as industry professionals so outside of politics you've got the advertising standards authority and you've got other bodies who are independent who regulate so that's how you do it that's how they you know, would come to some form of consensus it's called reform political advertising reform political advertising go and follow them they're doing some great work and they are making headway yeah and i think that changes everything again 
So you can't, you know, because Peter Oborn touches upon this in his book, The Assault on Truth. He says, when a, when a politician lies to you um, and you vote for them based on that lie that you think is a truth, they are stealing your vote from you, mm. stealing it. Mm. And they're stealing you of the opportunity for true democracy. And I don't think people get this. I don't think people are angry enough about this. They voted for something and then they didn't get it. Mm. Like, it's, it's, we just seem to be like, okay, fair enough. They all, they're all the same. Like the, right, the conclusion that I had drawn from a lot of research about this was that the voters and the, the and the politicians were on one billion percent different pages about what Brexit meant. And I'm not convinced that that many people were swung by lies that they saw as were rejecting or just voting based on something that seemed to be what Brexit would represent, but like no one ever promised it in terms of like, yeah, okay, right, we're going to look after British farmers and we're going to like, instead of having our supply chain monstrously outsourced the whole way to China and back, which um, is horrendous for the environment, mm. people should realize that isolationism is also green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, yeah, we're, we're, we're also not we're not um, self sufficient as no, a country. So no, 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 no. But we had this. Lovely, we but, can't do that. But yeah, so like, my my point would be that like the the implication of the way that the politicians spoke was that they were hearkening back to a time that maybe never actually existed, but one in which Britain could be more self sufficient. Of course, and, and Britannia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, <laughs> and that is never what the politicians were truly saying, I don't, I, like, okay, so there were some of them be like, oh, we'll look after the fishermen, Farage, mm -hmm. for example. But like, most of the time they weren't talking, they, they weren't, they were saying, you know, we're gonna be free trade Britain, we're gonna globally trade, we're gonna, you know, have all these trade agreements. Like, that's what they were saying. And I don't think anyone was like, actually, yeah, that's gonna be great. Like, I don't think any of the voters were all about globalization. No, They were I the complete opposite. Wasn't. I think, look, everyone, that's, that's again the thing. So people voted for Brexit for so many different reasons. There was, and also, and also no one voted for the same Brexit. Mm. There were so many different, I mean, you've got it now, no one's agreed on what Brexit actually means. You've got Brexiteers who are all arguing with each other saying, it's not hard enough, it's not this enough, it should have been no deal, it should have been a soft deal, there should have been no uh, out of the single market and customs union, we should have been closer, more closely aligned. There was no single version of Brexit. So mm. the idea that anyone knew what the hell they were voting for, there were all sorts of reasons people voted. Sometimes they were just, it was just a protest vote. They didn't like David Cameron. Mm. Like, so the whole thing was a complete shit show. Should never have been boiled down to one simple question. And I will never forgive Cameron for that. In fact, I was behind him at a game at Wembley. And I was, he was with his son. Otherwise, I would have just said, but I don't know you fucker. But I didn't. I refrained. You could have passed him a note. You should no. always have a pen and paper on hand just in I case. I did, honestly. I felt like there was a burning. I was like, <laughs> you bastard. And then also when he tweets. And I'm just like, like if you fucked up so royally, sorry, my swearing has just intensified in the last ten seconds. That's fine. Um, I this is again in the thing with this government as well. I, if I make a mistake at work, <laughs> I, I feel a bit like you know, oh god, like oh god, I feel a bit embarrassed, or you know, um, hold my hands up, I'm really sorry, that was me. Shit, I'll make you know. These people got no shame whatsoever. They still, like David Frost, still wheeled out as these experts. Daniel Hannan, like, 
what you 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 are responsible for one of the biggest catastrophes mm. in this country and so you far. still have yeah i know on <laughs> downward trajectory and you still have the brass neck to be peddled out and as, as some kind of expert you've been wrong on everything I, I don't know where they get this confidence from maybe it's a private school thing i'm not sure i only went to a local comprehensive so i'm a bit like sorry that was me but um yeah i wish i had their um no i don't actually don't wish I have had their whatever it is bullshittery conviction misplaced confidence um I'm not sure what word I would use arrogance I don't know if it's arrogance entitlement yeah there's that as well which is probably more what it is and that's the thing as well why do these entitled people end up governing us it's just so broken I just but I just think we need more people that are straight talking without agendas and I think that's part of the reason the people but i've got a track i've got a following it's i am i'm not sponsored this is not my main job i have a full-time job i i i yes i make the odd bit of money out of a jeremy vine appearance eh? it's not enough to pay our spiraling energy bills like you know i do this there's I do no enjoy this. your righteous in indignation whenever you end up on that show because they just yeah. they tend to put you with just the stupidest people that i have ever seen glad you said that <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, and, so, and sometimes I'm for. for that's, why, that's why I came across you first was a oh, was a Jeremy Vine clip, mm. and you were just there being like, I don't even know where to start. Like, yeah. you... <laughs> thank you. Sometimes I've got the energy for it, and more recently, I I can't I I find it really difficult now because I think we're at a point now where if you are still peddling this nonsense, like you know people saying fracking is the answer when it clearly by everyone that knows anything about it knows it's bloody not it will change nothing it's just yeah. going to make really rich people even richer and it's going to hurt the environment or you know they're still peddling this you know that this is these these tax cuts will be a good thing or Boris Johnson actually was a really good prime minister no I'm not having it anymore you've had your moment I'm not I'm not listening to your bullshit anymore and also substantiate stuff and I find so many of these right wing gobs they just rehash headlines that you read or stories that you'll read in the whatever in the telegraph in the daily mail in the sun and there's no the express even god help us and there is no thinking behind it and that's what I've noticed as well I used to think everyone on the tv this is all new to me by the way I never used to do this sort of stuff this is Two, within two years, all this stuff happened to me. But I can't, I used to just think everyone on TV, on these panel shows, on BBC, they knew their shit. They were experts and I should trust them. I used to, <laughs> I I used to look at people in parliament and be like, there's oh, so much, distinguished, yeah, intelligent there's guy, so yeah. much more clever, mm. cleverer than me. There's so much more intelligent than me. They must know I must be deferential to them. And also because I was my working class family, I went to UCL, I got into UCL, which is like top London university. And I quit after a few months and ended up going to Portsmouth University, which I had a much better time at. And I felt completely out of my depth because I was like, all these people are better than me because they had these posh accents mm. and they had the latest Louis Vuitton and they went skiing and oh, all this sort of stuff. And I ended up um, bowing out because back then I just felt out of place. I couldn't compete. They were so much better than me. That's how I felt about our politicians. Mm. I just thought they are a better um caliber of person than me because mm. they just have been born into that you know and only now i realize they aren't they mm. aren't and in fact you have to work when you're a working class person or whatever i think you have to work 
doubly, triply hard to get anywhere near those positions and to be treated credibly because I don't have a posh accent and I don't speak like that. Whereas, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg can talk out any old shit. And the rest of us are so deferential in this country, which brings us to the monarchy argument, which I'm not going to go into now, that we just go, well, he must. He must know what he's talking about because he sounds all posh and he's all clever and probably mm. rich. Mm. And that, again, is part of the problem. Like Angela Rayner, I think, talks a lot of sense. And so does, who's the other one who's got the accent? The woman, um, I love her. She does all the work for like women's women's rights and stuff like that. I've forgotten her name. Um, um, Jess, Jess. Yes, Phillips. Jess Phillips. Yeah. Right. I think these, these are two women that s- speak so much sense. And if they were... <laughs> I'm a fan of Jess Phillips. You know... Okay, she was. I um, feel she 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 said she always says the thing at the. She says the. Sometimes she says the right thing at the right time, or half the time she's on the wrong side of the argument and then pretends like she wasn't. And it seems like she's very very pally with Rupert Murdoch, and the, yeah. I know she's pally with Reese Mogg, mm. which is a weird one, but there is something in this, right? Okay, I have got friends that are Tory voters. Mm. And I've got friends that have voted Brexit. I'd like to think they probably wouldn't now. But there is so you know the uh, the American judge that died, the um Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. She was obviously a champion mm-hmm. for all good things, basically, mm-hmm. all to, you know, rights, women's rights and whatever. Mm-hmm. She did amazing work. She changed the world for the mm-hmm. better. She was very close to a very far like a a right. Um, Supreme Court judge. They mm. were pally. And I just, I don't think like sometimes, I know it sounds weird, but you can actually separate the two. Like you can. Oh you can yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't judge people for the opinions mm. they have. Mm. I judge them for how they conduct themselves. Yeah. And I do find now more and more, if you are right leaning, just, I find it difficult to be your friend, mm. but we can, if we've got a history between us or whatever, let's just not talk about it. Mm. Or I will try to, you know, bring you up to speed or whatever. But you know, it was fine. Um, like right, okay. Because we said we would talk about this. So this okay. is this is a great segue. Okay. okay. Like, do you, there, there is this like stratification of opinion that seems to me like whenever I see the headline, like right wing person or right wing politician or elected says this, to me, the words right wing coming out of the mouths or on the pages of a certain portion of the press or the population is intended as like to say that's what they believe is is like an insult in itself like that is a bad thing that's the that's the the tone that i see in this like do do you do you feel like that is the case like is to say someone is just like i don't know a traditionalist a bit conservative like and and I don't mean conservative in this like bastardized ridiculous like conservative government that we have. They're not. They're in absolutely no way what like people who are like traditionally right wing like would like most of the time. Some of the free marketeers maybe. But do you just do you see it as as bad for someone to be right wing? So this is the thing. I think we our discourse now is so binary. Mm. Like I didn't even realize I was a lefty. Like yeah. I've quote, I've tweeted. I just yeah. thought it wasn't a dickhead. Yeah. I just thought it wasn't a so selfish like, dickhead. Why do you like? Do you, is that how you view anyone that would consider themselves so on the thing, right? So if you say right, so I do refer to. I'm guilty of this. I, I refer to 
like the papers as right-wing rags, mm. like the ones like The Express, yeah. The Sun, The Daily Mail, The Telegraph, and I do mm -hmm. view them that way because mm -hmm. they pad pedal every single one of what I call the like the right-wing yeah. ideologies, whether that's free market or rampant free market, like um, um, libertarianism, libertarianism, is that the word? Yeah. yeah. Well, free, yeah. Anyway, that right through to being really anti-immigrant, right through to being like, anti-abortion all, all these things all these things sit within the right wing sphere of thinking so actually if you are just a person who um actually i just want to keep more of my money i don't want to i want low taxes mm. that puts you in the right right of center mm -hmm. but it doesn't put you right over there with the people that don't want to pay any taxes and want to privatize the nhs and so there's different it's a spectrum mm. isn't it so i think we need to be really careful about going you're on the right you're a racist i think that's really divisive mm. and shit and i see it a lot in a lot of the twitter twitter sort of dialogue yeah. from people on the left using this as an attack and i yeah. don't think it helps anyone it helps nobody. it just doesn't help the conversation also as much as it's tricky sometimes try and understand where people are coming from only and then then can you try and unpick or, or help them or, or speak to them and understand why it is they're voting that way and maybe show them all the other stuff that, that happens as a result of doing that which is really bad for the rest of the economy or the mm. rest of people whatever but i think this really binary discourse that we're having lefties marxists mm. righties racists is so unhelpful but again it's done by design mm. and we have got a government and this is what i find nuts as well you've got pm both truss and johnson and cabinet ministers senior cabinet ministers who use that division to further their agenda oh, how yeah. many times have you heard lefty lawyers or the lefty like mm. lefty press or mm. lefty always you know uh, do-gooders mm. blimey who who doesn't want to be a do-good who wants to be a do-good like that's just divisive mm. and also i don't understand how you can be a pm mm. and know that actually a lot of the country is left-leaning if you look at voting since the second world war we've always been a majority that have voted for left-leaning companies sadly because the first part of the post we mm. never actually get we don't rarely get a left-leaning party in power mm. but how can you as a pm have the gall to like, stand up and and just basically go to more than half of the population who mm. would consider them on the left mm. like it's really divisive and i don't think we should be talking like that but yes i talk i do i do refer to right wing if i talk about someone being right wing i will be papers that have pursue the entire ideology mm. you've got everything from the free market stuff to the racism stuff and the same with people whereas if you're slightly on the right because you're just taxes i wouldn't put you in that bracket mm. well it's like right so like for for example say there's someone who genuinely believes that privatization is the way forwards in a lot of things it's like they can sit down and be like i believe the nhs should be privatized they can like point at say germany right and say hey look germany very good healthcare system completely uh privatized heavily regulated but privatized and that works just if not at the minute better than the nhs i don't think that most of the time that idea is coming out of a oh, let's just make loads of money thing. Mm -hmm. It's coming from a, well, we just want the best healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's the same when it comes to like immigration. I find that like the actual portion of people who want immigration restricted that are actually racist is so tiny compared to the portion who are like, hang on, like we got like, I can't get 
XYZ services and we're not investing in it. And it's like a, it's a, I want to protect myself, my family, my community first. I don't feel like it's a, it's not out of, I don't think any of the, the, that argument is like based in race. I think they wouldn't, I, th- I don't think people would give a fuck if it was like someone from fucking Scotland. If they were, if they were like, if, the, if they saw the same dynamic, they would be like, hey, we want to protect you know, Josh, we family. don't talk, we don't talk sensibly like that. We talk in extreme. We don't. We don't. We we, we talk. We talk in extremes. Why do we yeah. talk in extremes? Because we are a. We become like a clickbait. We only react to extremes. There's no middle ground. There's no negotiation. There's no compromising now. You've just got you know a government with an eighty seat majority that railroads anything it wants to do now. So there's no talking in the middle because actually I think you bang on. I think there are some. Is there? A, there's one of the Scandinavian countries where they have uh, they're um water is privatized mm-hmm. but that it works because it's so heavily regulated the government insists on a level of reinvestment back into the infrastructure and it's all about driving customer va- customer value for the end consumer the mm-hmm. public yeah but we don't have that here it's the wild west mm. and it's all about driving value for the shareholder mm which is why we've seen all of these massive sewage spills and all the pipes are broken and, and whatever. So um, they, also can't, right. they also can't get the chemicals to treat it due to Brexit. Partly can't, can't, <laughs> due to Brexit, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I do think, there, again, you know, I think there's no trust. So if we were to privatise the NHS now, if that conversation is coming up now, everyone's going to go, no, because we don't yeah. trust. We don't trust that the government would do it with In a way that's kids. not simply to line their own pockets absolutely exactly so that's it and you you know you know if if the nhs becomes privatized and it looks like it's going that way by stealth because you know the the shell of the car looks like it is like i've I've, I've explored this extensively (laughs) but they're doing it very cleverly it's like Mm. someone saying like the the shell of the car i've heard that i can't credit someone i don't know who's dead but Mm. the shell of the car is is you know it's, it's not it's not privatized it's nationalized but all of the bits under the bonnet the seats, the seatbelts, the engine, or whatever, that that is all being privatised mm. within, underneath. Yeah, yeah. And then before you know it, it's gone. Salami tactics. Exactly. It's a bit like, it's a bit like your teeth, right? Mm. A bit like your teeth. So you want to get, you want to see a dentist. Mm. What's happened there? You basically must be, you're waiting months. I had to wait months mm. for a, an NHS dentist appointment because my, my little one has, had his first dentist appointment. But that's the same thing. It's by stealth. Eventually, you just have to go private, and that's what we're starting to see now, where people are going. It's a, it's a bloody eight month waiting list. I can't yeah. wait that long. Or no, like mum's my, in the same boat at the minute. Yeah, it's my my dad had this thing, and like you know, when your parents get sick, and you're like, oh my god, you panic, and um, there was a waiting list for him to go and see someone, and me, me and my brother and my sister were like we can't wait this long if it's something bad you don't need to develop or whatever and so we just went together and paid for him to go private but that's what's happening a two-tier system's emerging because again is this by design you know but we can't have those conversations about privatization because if the tories did it we would end up you know with the american style healthcare system where you i don't know someone's having what you think is a heart attack and you have to think twice about calling an ambulance because if it's not, you're going to be spunking 1,200 quid or something on an, an ambulance. It's cute that you think it's just 1,200. How much is it? Uh, it can be tens of thousands. Jesus. Um, it, because you don't, you, you know, you're getting paid, you get, you pay for the ambulance, then you pay for the arrival, you pay for every tiny little thing. The ambulance that you use. There. Yeah, it's still about four, four grand I saw a bill for recently. 
in my in my real job I've been looking at this yeah I don't think I just and again this needs to be something that a credible opposition would be doing land this point at the moment you get this you go into the hospital you walk out you have there is no bill Mm. imagine the stress like some people have lost children for example they're dealing with the like or the loss of a loved one they're dealing with that and then a bill arrives. Can you imagine that bankrupts them? Like, yeah. Do you want to see how many bankruptcies there are in in the US? Six hundred and fifty thousand a year. Thank you, Josh. <laughs> I mean, people don't understand this, and when the NHS is gone, it's gone. Yeah. Yes, that is. It is concerning trend that we're. It's concerning that the people who should be smart enough to see what's happening don't. Mm. My brother. My brother is um, loving to bits. He does very well. Uh, in fact, he's done very well out of the. Uh, <laughs> the t- tax cuts um, for the higher wealth individuals. Uh, but he can't see what the impact of this is on anyone else. And he mentioned about, you know, is, is it such a bad idea if the NHS is privatised? Because people just get private health, health insurance. I'm like, oh, God, I don't. I'm like, how is he? How is I mean, he he's right, but, like, that's going to be horrendously like, costly. He, he's forgotten really quickly. We're from the set. We had the same upbringing, quite deprived, you know, and I think he's really quickly forgotten what happened and mum and dad would not have been able to fork out a few hundred quid whatever every mm. single month for our private healthcare and he's like he'd he's like most people get it with their work i'm like no they bloody don't oh in america they do 156 million people get it through their job but do you want to explain to him why that's the fucking dumbest thing on the planet <laughs> tell me so i can right. pass it on because do you know what that does that links your your ability to get looked after to the fact that you have this this job mm. any interim period where you go you know i'm gonna quit my job yeah. i'm gonna figure out what i want to do next on no healthcare. yeah it ties people to jobs that they hate solely for the reason of remaining healthy that is the like if you if, if he is like a free marketeer in any way shape or form and believes in people's freedom mm. and that is the thing that's going to unlock the economy that is the stupidest fucking thing on the planet <laughs> like, i'll pass that on thank you <laughs> i've had too many of these arguments you know mm, i know but then I also think he doesn't understand the cost of what, what that insurance policy would be in between jobs. If he did decide, actually, I'm going to like jack in this job and I'm going to spend some time thinking about what else I'm going to do. Or or he would think, like I would probably think there is, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a period where I've not gone job to job. Mm. Yeah, I've never had a period apart from when I was made redundant at one point and I, but I had some money to, you know, redundancy pay. So I've always gone job to job to job to job because I've always been hand to mouth, basically. Um, So maybe that'd be his thinking as well. I don't know. Well, doesn't get it. Yeah. I mean, so like you've you've alluded several times to this idea that like the things, say the the political discourse, the the way in which our media environment operates, um, the way in which we're sort of steered away from a lot of the, you know, huge theft in that is currently, you know, under going on in British politics. Mm. Like to what extent, like when you say it's by design, like what extent do you think that there there is like a very powerful group of people who are who have the ability to at least pull some strings and like you know do their puppet master jazz and like what extent do you think that's the case? Massive, a massive extent. Mm. I think if you look at the side like a conspiracy theorist, but this is the problem. I hate this. And that's this fine. That's half my guests. And this is. But do you, do you not agree? <laughs> yeah. No, I hundred percent agree. <laughs> but this is this is what makes talking about politics so difficult now because it's not something you can have a quick chat about to someone. Mm. It is so huge, and it requires a lot of headspace to to get it. Like, um, I don't know if you read any of the bylines. So Yorkshire bylines, byline times. Mm-hmm. 
they've done some incredible investigative journalism on, on this recently. BBC, welcome to the party, about <laughs> like, you know, five years too late. You've got this whole group and it's such a lot to get your head around. And this is by design. So people go, oh, I don't know, Chuck on Coronation Street. It's too much, it's too much. But this is what is happening, right? Just to surmise. There, are, there is a group at this address uh, in Westminster, I think, called it's a Tufton Street address, 55 right? Tufton 55 Street. Tufton Street. You might, you know, there are all these think tanks. You might hear about think tanks and they've got these lovely names that sound like they're very yes. clever. The Institute for Economic Affairs, for Economic the Affairs, Taxpayers Alliance. Who has blocked me on Twitter. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, there's, a, there's loads of them, right? And they're basically these groups that masquerade as like, you know, groups that are out there concerned for the public. The taxpayers Alliance, that sounds like, oh, yeah. that's for me. They're looking out for my money as a taxpayer. Well, they're not. Most of them have charitable status as well. Don't pay no, any tax. And many of them are um, very opaquely funded, should we put it that way. Mm. Um, why would they hide who funds them? Well, this is what's being exposed now mm. and BBC are cutting on, onto it. A large majority of them are being funded by fossil fuel companies, mm. climate change denial, you know, companies like that. People who are um, linked to very far right uh, mm. extremist groups. Mm. And what's happened now, which is the really scary thing, is they are very closely linked to the ERG. So the ERG actually find themselves as members of these groups. So people like Suella Braverman and Therese Coffey and... Jacob Rees-Mogg, distrust, whatever. Oh, they'll go to all their cocktail Basically, parties. Yeah, they'll they'll yeah. take all their policy papers and from what, them. It's, and what, what this means, it, Liz Truss is economic, new economic advisor, for goodness sake. Some of the lords... The, like Lord, is it Spencer? Um, yeah, basically, there are so many people within our government, within our politics, influential politicians now, who are from these groups. And these groups do not exist to benefit you and I or the average. They are working for a very small number. They get they get privately funded, like opaquely funded that we can't see, mm -hmm. by these multi multi billionaires who make shit loads of money from industries um like fossil fuels which is why we're seeing now for the lift on fracking even though there's absolutely no no reason to do that whatsoever why we're seeing lifts on the caps on bankers bonuses um the issues why, that people care about exactly they are working government is now working for those think tanks mm being advised by those think tanks that work for that, that tiny portion of billionaires. And it sounds conspiracy theorist because it's awful and you're like, no, but it's yeah. where we are. Yeah, and the idea is. goes from billionaire or yeah. multi-billion dollar yeah. transnational company yeah. to the think tanks yeah. so who then decide, yeah. who write some nice policy papers exactly. about why the, why the position that they would like to happen. Like free yeah. ports would free be ports. a great idea. Then all free of a sudden, you know, gosh. they put out a few policy papers, then that gets touted by a couple of politicians. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it finds its way into Boris Johnson's manifesto. And then, hey, presto, mm -hmm. it's gone straight from the minds of the billionaires into the fucking laws of the United Kingdom. Yeah. And also I think people don't like, just put yourselves, if you can, in the, in the shoes, in the moccasin, Gucci, whatever they are, gold-plated shoes of a billionaire who owns BP, right? He doesn't want governments to stop relying on fossil fuels. Mm. He wants us to continue this reliance as long as we can. He doesn't want any rationing. He doesn't want, you know, because that's where he makes his money, mm. like ridiculous profits. So what does he do? He puts money into a think tank, mm. a group, that then has access to government mm. 
and bankrolls the government and because bank look at look at the Tory party look how much money the Tory party have received from fossil fuels from fossil fuel companies so I think it was like something, I don't know millions since Boris Johnson's election alone oh, yeah. this is what they do they're buying policy mm-hmm. they're not donating yeah. they're not donating <laughs> to the Tory party out of the goodness of their heart they want a return on investment yeah. and this is exactly what they're getting and then the politicians are very happy to do very little about like actually upgrading our energy grid yeah. and you know maybe transition into more stable, less volatile, less reliant on horrible dictators' forms of power because they love the political football that they get to batter around. It's like, oh, no, we'll save the environment. Like, no, 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 we'll save the environment Mm. whilst doing fucking nothing about it. Do you see, like, we, if we had, this makes me so angry. If we actually had, you go back 10 years, right, when the Conservative Party were claiming they were going to be the greenest government, government ever, they'd actually done literally fucking anything about it we would be not beholden to russia at all we would be sat here not giving two fucks about what was going on in ukraine because we would be fine right we wouldn't like we wouldn't well not that i actually think that the energy prices are linked to fucking ukraine basically at all but we would be sat here with we wouldn't be able to point oh well you know it's because of ukraine the gas we were were on course there's some really interesting graphs during the rounds we were on course to be almost like 100% entirely sustainable from renewables. And the fact that there was a, an insulation plan as well that mm-hmm. dropped off a cliff. Yeah, insulation that- plan went gone. Yeah. Uh, there was a load of plans to give solar panels and wind farms, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. build them like shit. Um, and this- this And also a gas storage facility. Yeah, and which- the grid, the grid, this is the big one that like I never got. I spoke to a couple of electricians about it. I was like, why don't we just give everyone solar panels? They were like, the grid can't handle it. We need to make monstrous upgrades to our electrical grid. Have you ever heard a politician saying that we have to do that? No, no, you haven't. <laughs> no. Again, it's by design. There's no who's going to get rich from that. It's not there. It's not the pals of the Conservative Party. It's not the Tory donors. Just like Dean Dory's pointed out, it's the it's the, it's the donors we need to please. Mm-hmm. And you know they're so they're so transparent about it and they're so brazen. But there is no mechanism in place for us to do a thing about it. All we've got is our vote. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Riots, riots aren't happening. Don't know why. I'd be there in a heartbeat. Um, I'm there. I was ready. I was like, right, we're going protesting for this energy shit. And then they, you know, she decided that as a solution, she would just take a hundred billion dollars of taxpayer money, you know, add to our already like wonderful inflation crisis by like putting more money on the on the fucking debt books without building anything and just hand it straight to the, the, the energy companies. Oh, it's fine. That'll be fine. Again, what do you expect for someone who is in the pockets of the energy companies who used to work for Shell? Yeah, I was about to like, say. If we are, it's, it's in such a bad place. I come, I'm going to come away from this today. Yeah. And I love having a chat about this because it's not something I can talk to about my friends and stuff. So it's a bit like therapy. But honestly, it feels... Right, well then let's find some positivity. It's exhausting just because I really care. I really do care. At 4 a.m. the other night, I was reading those articles from Byline and I'm just like despairing and I feel utterly powerless, like Mm. I feel so many people do. So it's tough. It's tough this. Sometimes I wish I didn't know. Sometimes I wish I'd go back to pre 2016 where all I cared about was, you know, The Apprentice or whatever. I don't know. Just little, little things. Gotta get a little stoicism in your life. Basically, yeah. It's basically the 12-step program without religion. It's like accept the things you can't control and mm. control the things you can't. Yeah, but at the moment I feel like I can't control anything. Well, what are you... What Not, you nothing, nothing to do with our politics. No. Utterly powerless and lots of... But I mean, the, the argument 
actually that gets made in this in this realm is like like you, I, I are you familiar with the like Jordan Peterson trope like the clean your room thing he's like someone asks him like how to you know basically what you're saying like there's all these like crazy spiraling things that are out of my control like what the fuck like how, what am I meant to do in if I'm 25 and I had no idea no no control over where the future is going and everything like he kind of like sneers a bit when he says this sometimes it's like oh yeah you know clean your room he's like that's not a joke like the if you start and like sort his the point is like start and sort out your world like fucking mm. get your house in order sort yourself out mm. and like the the ripples of positivity that like go out from like you sorting yourself out and then helping others to sort themselves out yeah. like the ripples outwards like there's no one can tell you the bounds of possibility if everyone, say everyone in the country, just like suddenly, slowly by, this is what I thought was going to happen during the pandemic, hi, hi, naive. But I thought that like, maybe we'd have some time to reflect, you know, all, you know, become slightly less venomous online. Maybe like, I don't know, just try and be, yeah, I was very honest. Everyone just became drunks, didn't they? And put on weight. Well, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, that was fun too. Yeah. But no, he was like, the point is that basically like, you know, make your world a little better. And you'd be surprised how fast that can ripple out. And I quite like that message. And it at least keeps me positive in the hope that, you know. There is that, but it doesn't stop all of the, you know, you know, you know about all this going on. Yeah. And the problem I've got, Josh, is that, and many will have, is it's not getting better. No. M many people now, are, you know, it used to be just the, the, the poor mm. that would be like, they're getting shafted. And now we've got people who are on, like, you know, Deep, really decent incomes. I've got a friend of mine who is losing sleep because of the impact that the rising interest rates are going to have on his mortgage repayments, and then the knock-on effect that's going to have on things like renters. Mm. He he earns a decent salary. He's got two kids, but he doesn't have an extra four five hundred quid to put towards the mortgage every month. Month, let alone the extra twenty five percent jump in energy bills. Even though with, with the cap, it's still going to be twenty five percent. By the way, this is coming next month. And this is this is why I can't. Maybe I just wish I didn't care as much, if I'm honest, because I I do it really bothers me. Like I don't want to see people struggling when they don't they shouldn't be. They're working their bollocks off, and that's why I can't switch off. Even if I do tidy my bedroom, <laughs> my bedroom's never tidy because my husband's messy. So wish I had a husband to blame. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Um... I've taken up a lot of your time. We've smashed past an hour. Oh, have we? I yeah. didn't feel like it. Well, well, that's good. Mm. Time flies when you're having fun or ranting. Mm. But yeah, um, do you want to like point people towards your stuff? Um, yeah, so basically, I'm not normally this miserable. Sorry. I think you just caught me on a day when everything is just feeling like it's falling, you know, just falling apart. Um, but um, yeah, if you want to catch more of basically uh, political ramblings, but they're very humorous as well i've got i've got a, po a podcast called the troll um and it's with the amazing Gemma forte and she's the one that brings the lightness she's very funny i'm more like bring a lot of the facts and the hard truths but the troll search for it on all your normal podcast platforms or on on my twitter which is at marina perkis um and what we try and do is just go through all this all the political shit that's going try and make sense of it um pull in some extra data points someone actually left a review saying love this podcast because it makes me think and it makes me piss myself so uh i think that's a nice little summary if that's the sort of thing you're after have a look at our podcast the troll 
wonder for a while. I'll put the link in the description. Thank you, Josh. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment for us in the comments below. Let me know what you thought and if you'd like to see more of this from the show. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time.